It's good to be with you in the house of the Lord this morning. It's a great privilege uh, and honor uh, to bring God's Word uh, to His people this morning. If you would, grab your Bible uh, or your phone, uh, wherever it is that you've got a copy of God's Word, and turn to Psalm 87. Unfamiliar uh, with where that is, just turn to the middle of your Bible and you'll find the book of Psalms. And keep flipping uh, until you hit 87. And we are going to be reading uh, all of this Psalm, verses 1 through 7. Before we read God's word, let's go before Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before you now uh, to hear your word, uh, to receive your instruction, Lord, we pray that You would prepare our hearts, that Your Spirit would move through it, that You would till up the soil of our souls so that the seed of Your Gospel would take root and bear forth much fruit uh, in our lives. Lord, we pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 87. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her. For the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the peoples, This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. May He write its eternal truth on all of our hearts this morning. Uh, One of our favorite books in uh, my family uh, is a book called The Winter Room. I don't know if anyone's familiar with it. Uh, I just got my daughter's attention right there with The Winter Room by Gary Paulson. And there's four chapters in this book. Spring, summer, fall, and winter follows the four seasons. And uh, in the very first line... Of the, of the book. It says, Spring spring is a time of smells. Uh, and with this first chapter, it's talking about sort of the awakening that occurs is in the season of spring. Uh, the family that the book sort of follows, uh, the boy that it's about, uh, is on a farm. And the thing that he notices in the beginning of spring is how everything smells. Uh, Good smells, bad smells, but spring is a time of an awakening of everything. Maybe you've noticed that this past week, uh, or the past couple weeks, as we start to see the leaves sort of springing out from trees, buds on trees. We've got a little lime and lemon tree in our house, and it's starting to produce little fruits on it. Everything is sort of popping in spring. I drove over to uh, Eastern PA uh, on Friday, and you go through this tunnel through one of the mountains, and on the other side, it's sort of, it's three weeks ahead of where we are. Everything just explodes in front of you with all this color 
and transformation. And it's amazing to watch that happen this time of year. Like, I mean, winter in Ohio, it's just dead, right? I mean, it's just so dead. Uh, everything, all the trees just look dead. Everything is colorless. But in spring, the things that look dead all of a sudden burst with life. And there's something magical and beautiful about that transformation. And you see that in so many different things in life. Um, It's like when a teacher sort of opens the eyes of their student uh, to learn and know and see and understand something that they didn't know before. Or when an artist describes the symbolism in a painting. Uh, I am an absolute idiot when it comes to art or anything artsy. And so when it's described to me by an artist, I start to see and understand these things. And it, it brings so much more appreciation for that piece of art. Or that song when someone explains the lyrics to you and what they mean. Or when an engineer explains how something works. Uh, so many times you think, this thing is just magical. Like I turn on the TV and there's just pictures. How does that happen? When someone explains it to you, it's incredible. If someone wants to explain that to me sometime later, that'd be great because I still don't understand. But what the expert does or what the teacher does in this is grow the understanding, but also the appreciation for the one that they're teaching. Uh, for the kids, it's sort of like in Toy Story 1 where uh, there's, that, there's that scene where Woody is talking to Buzz and he's explaining to him that you are a toy! You are a child's plaything! I love that line. Uh, it's amazing when, when you see Buzz all of a sudden throughout the movie understand and come to an appreciation that he is a toy, uh, that he is loved, and that's so much better than being in a, gal- a galactic ranger. Uh, there's something amazing in that transformation. What we have in Psalm 87 is a song where the psalmist describes the church. He describes the church as seen through the eyes of God. And as he does so, he is opening our eyes and kindling and growing our appreciation and understanding for what the church is for what the church represents, our responsibility as a part of the church, and the life and refreshment that we receive from the church. So I want to frame our time in this psalm specifically with three questions. And the first question is, what does God see when He looks at the church? What is it that God sees when He looks at this, this gathering uh, of the visible people, the corporate body of God. And the first things you see in verse 1, or it's on a holy mount, the first part of verse 1, and it's a city he founded, second part of verse 1. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 6 says, But I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name may be there. And I have chosen David to be over all my people, Israel. As the psalmist talks about the city that God founded on this holy mount, he's talking about Israel here. If you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, you recognize and know that the Israelites were the Old Covenant people of God. They were called as God's covenant people. 
when God called Abram uh, in Genesis chapter 12, sort of out of Ur with this promise that He would make him into a great nation, that He would bless all the other nations through him, that they would be an innumerable people. Uh, They would be His people, and He would be their God. This is the nation of Israel, the old covenant people of God. And the entirety of the Old Testament is about God and His relationship with His people Israel. His constant and relentless and never ceasing and just always pursuing love for His forgetful and rebellious children. The gates of Zion that this psalm refers to in verse 2. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. It's referring to Jerusalem as the capital of the place that He prepared and set aside for His people. It's the, na- it's the capital of the nation of Israel. It is the place where He has chosen to dwell. It's Zion. It's the city of God where Solomon built the temple, where the glory of the Lord was present. I don't know if you've read that portion in 2 Chronicles where it talks about, 2 Chronicles 7, I think, where it talks about the glory of the Lord filling the temple when it's finally finished and dedicated. And it absolutely just fire comes, light comes and fills that temple. It is that place representing where the Lord dwells. It is His home with His people. This city of Zion on a holy mount. This mount that is set apart as a beacon, uh, as a light to the nations of this place where God has chosen to enter into relationship with His people. That's what God sees when He looks at the church. He doesn't just see the people in it. When He looks at the nation of Israel as they come to gather and corporately worship Him and offer sacrifices, He doesn't see simply that moment. He sees... The whole thing. The big picture. But he doesn't just see his old covenant people. He also sees his new covenant people. Because the church is more than Israel. We recognize that we're not Jews. We're not Israelites. Um, Israel was merely the starting point of the people of God. The new covenant people of God are all of those believers who put their faith in Jesus since He came to dwell with us in the flesh. And it's since His death and resurrection when that temple veil was torn as He died on the cross and He sent His Holy Spirit, the Helper, to His people that the dwelling, of the, dwelling place of the Lord is no longer just this physical place, this temple of the Lord or this place, Jerusalem, but it's in the souls of believers 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are God's temple? That God's Spirit dwells in you? This is what God sees when He looks at the church. He sees the tapestry of His steadfast covenant love. He sees His chosen people. And He loves them. He loves them. The church. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Just that comparison there of loving the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. He's he's calling us to recognize that it is the corporate body of Christ gathered in worship that He is focusing on here. 
It's not just the individual family units of the nation of Israel that are scattered and spread throughout the area. No, it is when they come and gather as His people to offer praise and thanksgiving and worship to Him as His people. This is what He loves. His people gathered together as they proclaim and represent and picture for us God's covenant, steadfast, faithful love. This tapestry of beauty and wonder of God at work bringing life to that which is dead. Now that's that's a beautiful picture, a wonderful picture. What do you see when you see the church? Like when you look at the church, what do you see? That's the second question, right? All right. So what does God see? He sees this wonderful, beautiful, amazing tapestry of His love and grace at work in the world, transforming the dead to life. What do you see when you see the church? I don't know about you, but I see a mess. <laughs> uh, it's a mess. Do you, is that what you see? You see a, just a bunch of hypocrites? A social club to belong to. uh, A place to come on Sunday morning to sort of feel better about the rest of the week because you showed up at church. What do you see when you see the church? Is the church only beautiful to you because you're in it? Or are you beautiful because you are a part of the church? You are beautiful individually, as you're made in the image of God. But you are made in the image of God to be in community with God's people, as God Himself is in community with Himself. Therefore, your beauty as an image bearer of the Lord is made truly brilliant as it lives in vibrant relationship with the people of God. Again, like when you see just a single, uh, a single color, that color can be a beautiful color, an absolutely wonderful color. But when you combine that beautiful color with others in a painting, or when you combine that one thread, that colored thread, with all of these other colored threads in a tapestry, it all of a sudden becomes something so much greater and so much more beautiful than that individual thing itself. It's transformed into something greater. Do you see that when you see the church? When you look at the body of believers, not simply here at Christ Pres, but in Northeast Ohio, uh, in America, in the world, do you see that beautiful tapestry? Do you simply see your own color in it? Are your eyes beginning to open up a little bit more to start to see and understand and appreciate this beauty? Is your heart expanding as you see the church, as you start to see the church through the eyes of God? Look at the middle part of this psalm. One of the reasons why I wanted to preach this psalm uh, this week is because I did not understand this psalm at all. (laughs) 
When you read this psalm, it is so confusing because all of a sudden you see the Lord loves the gates of Zion. He loves this dwelling place where He has come to dwell with His people. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. And then what's the middle part about? Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Cush. Why is He focusing on these places? All of these places uh, are historical enemies to the people of God. Maybe you're familiar with that. I mean, Rahab is actually, is, is actually a word uh, pointing us to Egypt. It's another name for Egypt. Uh, we all know the enmity in the Old Testament between Israel and Egypt. How Israel was a slave to Egypt for 400 years. Uh, and throughout the life of Israel, there was constant conflict between Israel and Egypt. And Egypt is known as this, this powerful nation. Same with Babylon. Like really, if you could think of two protagonists to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament that are most prevalent and noticed, it's Babylon and Egypt. Like those are major enemies to the people of God. Philistia. I mean, the King David's whole life is spent battling with the Philistines. Philistia is, again, a crazy powerful enemy of Israel. Tyre also. Actually, if you look at Psalm 83, this imprecatory psalm against the enemies of the Lord, Tyre is mentioned among them. These enemies, Tyre was part of this sort of ten-nation alliance to destroy Israel. Cush is another word for Ethiopia at the time. Again, a huge enemy to the nation of Israel. Why is God focusing on these enemies? Why is He mentioning all of these other nations when He's saying His love is for Jerusalem? His love is for the people of the Lord. It's because the whole mission of the people of God was to be a light to the nations. Isaiah 49, verse 6, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Genesis 12, when God is actually entering into covenant with Abram for the first time, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All of these nations, all these countries, all these enemies are named pointing to the reality that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be named among the people of God as citizens of heaven, as born in Zion. As you look at this, at this psalm, among them, all, he names these nations. This one and that one were born in her. The Lord records as He registers the people, this one was born there. He's talking about all these nations, right? This one. People in Philistia were born in Zion. People in Babylon, born in Zion. Do you see what a wild contrast this is? 
all these all these great and powerful nations far outshone Israel in wealth, in power, in technology, in prestige, in political influence, military strength, and just significance overall. They were greater nations in the eyes of the world than Israel. Every single one of them was. Yet what does the psalmist lift up as their greatest glory? It's to be reborn as a citizen of Zion. It's the highest privilege that one could receive to be named by the Lord as one of His own children. And isn't it sort of irony of all ironies that God mentions all of these names but doesn't mention Israel? He doesn't mention Israel who so many times spurned its birthright and sought to satisfy themselves with the things of the world by worshiping other gods that were prevalent and worshiped in these other nations. But isn't it beautiful that even though his own chosen people forget him, he's naming enemies as his own. Again, this is showcasing for us the beauty of the church. The psalmist here is helping us to understand and know and appreciate this tapestry of grace that is the church. Again, what is the church proclaiming? The church is proclaiming the steadfast covenant faithfulness of the Lord, His grace to give us His word, to open our eyes, to forgive us of our transgressions and our enmity, and to name us as His own. That grace into which the very angels long to look. What a gift. Do you see that as a gift? Do you recognize and appreciate that gift on a daily basis? This is why we're worshiping together. This is why we've gathered together, is to rejoice and to celebrate in this. This is why all tribes, tongues, and nations can put aside their enmity and sing praises to the Lord together. It's because we were dead and have been given life. We have been made new. That prophecy in Ezekiel 37 of the valley of the dry bones. Can what is dead be brought to life? Through the grace of the Lord, yes. Because the gift of rebirth and new life. This is why verse 2 says God loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob again, because it is in Jerusalem that the people gathered for the corporate worship of God's people. As they corporately gathered, they are celebrating the destruction of enmity the walls and barriers that have been torn down between them and rejoicing together in unity at the love of the Lord. You couldn't live and love the Lord and neglect those corporate gatherings of worship in Jerusalem. You couldn't do it. That's what it looked like. To love and know and be in communion with the Lord was to gather in His dwelling place. 
together from all the dwelling places of Jacob in Jerusalem where the Lord dwells and worship Him. This kind of leads to this last question that I want to focus on. So we've got, what does the God see when He looks at the church? What do you see when you look at the church? Last question, why do you go to church? <laughs> uh, again, I'm a campus minister with RUF on campus at Kent State. Uh, I've been doing campus ministry uh, for nine years now. Uh, talk, to st- talk to students a lot about church. And one of the constant refrains, I think, that, that, we, that we run into, not just with college students, uh, but with everybody, is, why do I have to go to church? I'm going to get hurt at church. The church hurts people. Maybe you've been hurt by the church yourself. Maybe you're close uh, with family members or friends who have been hurt by the church. I'm going to hurt other people in the church. I'm going to disagree in the church with decisions that are made, with policies and procedures. I'm not going to like the preaching. Going to be honest, right? Probably not going to like the preaching. I'm not going to like the time that it meets. It's too early. Meets too late. It's too short. It's too long. Like, as soon as you get into the church, all of a sudden these little things become these major things. There's so many things that I could be doing with my time right now that are more fulfilling, more rewarding, more fun. It's my day off. Why do I have to go? I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And you're right. You know? You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. The Bible tells us, believe, and you will be saved. It's as simple as that. The gospel is very simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. But what next? Because baptism, the Lord's Supper the preaching and teaching of the Word, the discipline of the saints, the fellowship of His people, all of these means instituted by grace for our growth in grace are in the church. These means are pipelines of grace to us. This thing that we're celebrating that that has given us new life, we find them in the church. These means of grace, they're like the fertilizers to the soil of our souls. They all exist within the confines and under the authority of the local church. So you're right, you do not have to be a Christian. Or you do not have to go to church to be a Christian. A seed can sprout in all kinds of soil. Jesus said a parable about that. But can it survive? Can it Go more than just simply surviving. Can it thrive? Can it bear abundant fruit? Uh, verse 7, maybe the weirdest verse in this, in this passage. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. 
Singers and dancers are sort of referring to the people that accompanied the worship, like temple worship in the Old Testament. And it's not springs as in like jumping up. Uh, it's springs as in, as in water. Uh, David Strain, pastor at uh, a church in Jackson, Mississippi, said this about this verse. Here is a picture of celebration. They're singing, they're dancing, they're playing musical instruments, and their theme is the inexhaustible fountain of living water welling up to eternal life that flows to them from Jesus Christ. Now they've come to belong in Zion. All my springs are in you. Refreshment and satisfaction, life-giving water I find in you. I need look nowhere else now. Here in the church, the river that makes glad the city of our God flows constantly. Here in the church, the river that makes glad the city of our God flows constantly. Here among His people, here under His Word, here as His Spirit works and His praises are sung, as we worship and work together, serve and care for one another, here this dear that pants for the water, finds a river of life flowing in the desert places of my life. All my springs are in you. Why do you have to go to church? Why do you go to church? You go to church to celebrate, to rejoice to drink deeply from the fountain of life that runs in the church. You go to church not because you necessarily want to, but because you need to. You can't help but be excited to celebrate with the people of the Lord. And that excitement isn't necessarily something that is emotional. That excitement goes deeper than emotional. It's in every aspect of our being. You go to the church to be reminded that you are a part of something so much bigger than yourself. You are a part of something that is so much more beautiful than yourself. You're a part of this tapestry. The tapestry of the personal and intimate and never ceasing, always and forever love of God. You are a part of the church. May we see the church through the eyes of God. May we see one another through the eyes of God as we participate in the mess of all of our lives, as we, as we walk alongside each other in our sin, through our disagreements, can we see each other in the eyes of God and rejoice that we have been given new life, that we are being transformed from something that is dead into something that is beautiful and wonderful and glorious? May our hearts be filled with refreshment and celebration in the worship of God's people as a part of His community. And may we speak into the world 
of the glorious things that we find in the church. It's the last thing that I want, I want to focus on. Glorious things of you are spoken in this psalm. Is that, a, is that a refrain in your communities that glorious things are spoken of the church? Is that a refrain in your life? Do you speak gloriously of the church? Do you relay to all those around you the beauty that you find there, the transformation of your own heart and the hearts of those around you? When you read through the Old Testament, you're kind of like, whoa, these people are terrible. This is a mess. You read through the whole Bible. Everyone is just, it's just a train wreck. But what do you, my, my favorite, my favorite character in the Bible has become Manasseh. Just the worst of the worst kings of Israel. I mean, this guy, just terrible. But what happens to Manasseh? When he's conquered, imprisoned, tortured, he believes and is transformed. That is beautiful and glorious. Is there anything more glorious to speak of than something being reborn? Something dead and terrible being transformed into something beautiful and wonderful that bears fruit, that proclaims the glory of the Lord. Glorious things of you are spoken. This is how we live as a light in a dark world. We live as a light in the dark world by proclaiming the gloriousness that we find in the people of God because of what God has accomplished in the world. By taking something dead and making it new. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before You, as we are reminded of the beauty of your church as we are amazed that you would take something so dark and terrible and broken as ourselves and choose us and mold us and shape us to be tapestries of your grace and beauty and give us life so that we might be life to those around us. Lord, we pray that You would forgive us for forgetting this. Forget, forgive us for losing sight of that. Forgive us for all of the distractions and temptations that we fall prey to on a daily basis. Give us grace to keep our eyes focused on Your glory so that all those around us might see You and be made new. We pray all of this in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus. Amen.